This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, or how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. Let us open with prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the rain that comes down today, that waters the crops, that feed the people. Thank you for those who make their living from the land, and we just pray for your blessings on each one of them. We thank you for uh, your word, which is the growth of our faith, and we just pray that as we consider your generosity in our lives, that we would respond with ours. Amen. Okay. Session three, there's one more after this, which means there's a total of four. You're good. You're good. Nobody, nobody said there would be math. All right, today we want to look a little bit at expectations of generosity. There's always, anytime you do something, there's expectations, or there should be, correct? Right? You go to a baseball game, you have certain expectations, you want to see your team win. Hopefully you want to, did the Brewers win last night? I fell asleep before. Three to nothing. They scored one run in two games. I'm, I'm sure the way I even feel now, I might get on base. But that's sad. It's a whole other question. If uh, you're going out for dinner, you have certain expectations, right? When you get a new job, you have expectations. If you're hiring someone, there's expectations. So we'll talk about expectations. Uh, three parts here. Uh, today, and uh, we want to talk about God's expectations, um, harmful expectations, and healthy expectations. Okay? Let's hit it running. You got any questions? Shout them out right away. All right? Um, God's expectations. Yes, God has expectations when it comes to generosity. The one who is so generous with his gifts calls us to be generous in turn. The Lord tells us that we must love others as he loves us. We are called to forgive others as we have been forgiven. In other words, we are called to receive God's generous gifts, but we are also called to dispense God's gifts generously. That makes sense? Right. So we are not the dead end of God's gifts. Next paragraph. The Lord's desire is for us to be generous with his spiritual gifts of faith and forgiveness, but also to be generous with earthly, material gifts he gives to us. We are called to steward the gifts that God has given to us. Before I go on, how many of you, when you hear the word stewardship, think of money? <laughs> we, we, we do, don't we, sometimes? And, and you expect the S to be a dollar sign? <laughs> stewardship, right? Here's a, here's a different definition. The term steward refers to one who manages the goods of another. This reminds us that everything we have and all that we are belongs to the Lord, and we are to use what he has entrusted to us in the way he would. That's a whole different twist, isn't it? Because a lot of times I hear about stewardship as um, simply being uh, a portion, 
right? And normally when you hear about stewardship and stewardship sermons and all that, oh, you should reserve how much for the Lord? 10%. I hear that a lot. That's a, the, the average person in, that goes to a church, not our church, any church. Anybody know? It's, it's about 1%. That, that's about average, is, is about 1%. A Christian church, if everybody tied, would probably be able to fund their ministry off of one year worth of giving for seven to 10 years. Is that interesting? Yeah. But stewardship is not tithing. That might be an element of it, but that is not stewardship. Stewardship, uh, we're going to find... Is, is different. So um, <clears throat> if, if, if you had a, a, a ball, well, let's do this. If you had children and you said to your children, here's $5, go to the store and get some bread and some milk and some eggs. Now, this is years ago. Today, you would have to give them $500 in order to do that. Or first, you would have to send them to the bank to get a loan. Um, but you, you did that. Uh, you would have certain expectations, correct? What are you expecting? Change. What else? Bread, Bread eggs, and milk. And a little something extra. A little something extra. <laughs> you know, my, I remember my mom would say, go down, go down to the corner store and uh, get whatever it was, and then get a pack of baseball cards. Oh. They were a nickel. Five cards and a stick of hard gum. Yep. And they were a nickel. I still have those. And they are worth far more than a nickel right now. I, and the gum's still very good, very fresh. Um, th- those are, ex- yes? Well, if you want stewardship, wouldn't you expect the generic brand rather than Pepperidge Farm? Good stewardship, you would want generic rather than the Pepperidge Farm. I'm, I'm liking your, your good German Lutheran cheapness. I was going to say frugal, but Lyle, you beat me to it. Um, Yeah, we would have these expectations. In other words, we say to our children, you need to take my money and do the things with my money that I would do with my money. This is stewardship. So God says, I'm going to give you stuff. I'm going to give you gifts and abilities and talents and material possessions and spiritual blessings. And I'm going to give you all of that stuff and I need you to do with it as I would do with it. That's a different view of stewardship, isn't it? So uh, there was a guy named Harry Went and he did a, uh, a Bible uh, series uh, and, and Harry talked about stewardship in his Bible series, and it was called Crossways. Anybody? Crossways, and then there was one he called Doctrine and Diagram. Here's what Harry said. Too many times we say, I have all of this stuff, and I'm going to give God 10%. And then, and then this is all mine right in here. I'm, I, I get to do whatever I want with this. Okay? There's also a view that, oh... Where are my Vince Lombardi friends? Okay. Because Vince Lombardi would say, the first thing in your life is God. And then he said, 
And then he said, football. If you talk to his two children, they would say, dad believed in those three things. He never got them in the right order. Harry would say, it's almost like, okay, I got God done today. I got family done today, and I'll move on to football and get that done. Harry says, let's do it this way. Let's put God at the middle of our life, at the center, okay? And my life is like the outside of this wagon wheel, and everything that I have are represented by my spokes. So I have money, I have a home, I have a church, I have a job, I have recreation, a lot of fun and sports. Whatever it is, we can put it in here. Everything that I do in my life is designed on serving God. So my recreation serves God because I'm taking care of my body or I'm shut, you know, kind of getting away from the stress of work or whatever. Um, my, my family, this is, well, it's two families separate. This is my family. I'm going to be spending time with my family. That honors God, correct? Uh, my finances, the way I handle my finances. Am I honoring God by how I'm using my dollars? Uh, my home, my possessions, these are all my possessions. Uh, are, am I using those to serve God? Uh, when I'm at church, am I, serving, am I there to serve God? Uh, my grandma, I, I told you this one before, uh, went to church with my grandma. And um, she said, oh, my goodness, it must, four years are gone already. I said, what do you mean, grandma? She said, oh, every four years, the judge has to get reelected he ushers every Sunday in October. And then we don't see him again for four years. Yeah, yeah. So is that serving God? It's, no, it's serving, it's, it's serving his uh, political base. So all of this, and the, the deal is, if one of these becomes too long or too short, my wheel is out of balance. Yeah. I like, I like this image. I don't know about you. I, to me, this is really a great image of how are we uh, reacting uh, as, as stewards. So it's, the focus is always on, on God. All right. Um, well, here you go. How is the definition of stewardship contrary to the world's view of managing our possessions? <coughs> what do we normally hear from the world? He who dies with the most wins. He who dies with the most toys wins. Yeah. Look out for number one. Yeah. And that's okay if we know who number one is. Right? I'm not number one. <clears throat> yeah. Other thoughts. I, I think sometimes we look, it, it's mine. This stuff is, what's the first word little kids learn? Mine. mine. My, even if it isn't theirs. Mine. And, and, and they grab it and, and, and take it. 
Um, how does this definition of stewardship alter the manner in which we manage our possessions? Kind of an obvious answer. We have a different perspective now. Yeah, so now I get to see things from whose vantage point? From God's. So when I was a kid and I walked into the store, it was, all right, I got to remember, what did mom want me to get? Baseball cards. Baseball cards. <laughs> that one I knew. I had that picked out right away. And, and it was all right, bread or milk or eggs or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I got to remember, what does mom want? You know, what does God want when I spend this? And, and uh, here's another one. I, <laughs> I, I heard a pastor say um, it's wrong to say 10% of your money should go to serve the Lord. He would say 100%. Because if you're paying your mortgage, you're serving the Lord by caring for your family. If you're paying your taxes, you're serving the Lord by caring for your community. If you're buying tickets to go to the theater, you're serving the Lord because you're having a time with your family or your friends or just it's a little downtime because you are working so darn hard this past week. You just need to kind of shut it down a little bit. Yeah, 100%. That really follows this, doesn't it? Yeah, that 100% of the time we ask, is this a God-pleasing way of spending my money? You know, you, <laughs> you and I do that. When we pay our taxes, yeah, you, you, anybody here pay quarterly taxes as self-employed? Yeah, I'm self-employed. I pay quarterly taxes. Doesn't, isn't it fun every quarter to pay that nice big check? And then you say, I'm just so pleased in the manner in which the government spends my money. Oh man, I, I only wish I could give more. No, sometimes we get frustrated. I wonder what God is saying when he sends us all the stuff and he says, I'm just so happy the way they're caring for all the goods that I give them. All right. Um, at the bottom of that opening page, in his final teaching while on earth, Jesus spoke parables about generosity. The familiar parable of the talents is recorded in Matthew 25. Here it is. Jesus said, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. That's stewardship. To the one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. 
I will set you over much, enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There you go. Yeah. One of these verses that maybe you've heard a thousand times, but there's always something new you're seeing in it. When it says here, to each according to his ability. Yeah. What, that kind of is up a question of context and stuff. I mean, kind of like, well, what did he expect out of the guy with the one? Or how do we know that the other two didn't put one aside and start investing the other just so they had a safe place? Things like that. But I, I'm just curious what, why it says that. That's my second question. Oh. I'm going to get that one pretty soon. Hang in there. Okay. Yeah, that, no, that's a great question. It's a, it, because it's a question, um, the question is this. Uh, well, let's go to it on the very bottom of the page. According to verse 15, how did the master decide how many talents to give each servant? And it says, according to his ability. Okay, so the master has seen all of his workers and he gets it. They're not all equally talented. So if my mom had called my dad at the store she might have said, we need milk and bread and eggs. And while you're at it, can you get a roast? Can you get, and she would add it on there. Why? He knew how to pick it up. Because dad knew how to do it. He had a vehicle to be able to carry it all, right? And he probably had more money than five bucks on him. She knew his abilities. My ability was, was limited, right? So, and we might find, we might find the same thing um, if, if you have a company. Someone calls and says, hey, I'm really interested in, in uh, engaging with you. I'd like to know more about your product. And uh, this is probably going to be a million dollar sale every year. You might send your best sales rep. It probably isn't going to be the guy who lost the three accounts or the one you just hired uh, a couple of months ago. So I'm thinking, Dennis, this guy saying, I'm, I'm going to make sure everybody gets what they can handle. And then it's their responsibility to handle it in the appropriate way. So the guy who got one, go ahead, Lois. With that in mind, it seems that the treatment of the third servant is pretty harsh. Ooh, I think it sounds harsh. Throw them out where there's gnashing of teeth. Oh my goodness. That, 
Exactly. And, and if I really think his idea was, I'm afraid of the boss, which it says, right? I, I was frightened because you, notice in the parable, it's the perception of the, the one talent guy. It's his perception that the boss is reaping where he's not sowing. It doesn't say it's necessarily true. So he has this vision of, of the boss as a tyrant. And so out of fear, he buries this and he says, here, I didn't lose anything. I give you just what you had. And, and the, the boss is saying, wow, if indeed you thought I was this cruel and unfair, why would you do that? You could have gone to the bank and got 0.1% interest and come to me. And you could have said, here, you gave me $10,000. Here's $10,001. And, and I would have had more. Uh, but instead, out of fear, uh, you, you, you kind of shunned me. So this is it. It's not that the boss was necessarily a person who expected uh, reaping a harvest where he never sowed anything. That was the perspective of this one person who had the one talent. It shows a lack of relationship. So having a, a more, having a better relationship with the master might have taken away the fear and caused this, uh, this servant to, to be more productive with his talent. I think maybe that's where Jesus is going with this. So where it says, you knew that I reap, he's not admitting it there? No. He's kind of saying that in the sense yeah. that, oh, you knew this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, if this is your perspective, then you should have done this. You should have at least gone to the bank and got, gotten 0.1% interest. See, that's another perspective I always thought that the owner was kind of admitting this. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think it's really this guy who doesn't have very good relationship. And I think that's the other lesson that we get out of this. The stronger your relationship with God, the, the easier it is to steward. Ted. I know I have bad thoughts, but every time I hear this story, <laughs> I think, what if the guy that got five would have lost them? Then the, the guy that had one would have been a hero. Or they both would have been gnashing their teeth. Gnashing their teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it's a harsh one. When does Jesus tell this parable? It's a teaching parable. They teach, teach something. Not, you know, these are real people. Real things. Right. Yeah, yeah. A teaching event to like the other parables. You know, they tend to overthink them. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it starts with, it starts with these words. For it will be like. What will be like? It will be like, and he's saying, when I come back. This is the Tuesday before Jesus is crucified. He's talking, he's really saying, okay, I've had three years with you. I'm coming again. <laughs> and I'm, I'm leaving you with stuff. You just need to uh, invest in the ministry. And when I say invest, I mean you need to live the faith. Because I'm, I'm leaving you guys in charge. And, and who's listening to this? Well, there's 12 disciples, but there's also Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law and scribes and elders. 
He's speaking to this whole crowd and to individuals who've been given faith. Yeah. So I think, I think that parable illustrates the definition of stewardship. This is my stuff. I've got expectations. Yeah. Yeah, Sharon. No, no. So if we, if we say the master is the Lord, which this is the idea of the parable, and if I'm the guy with the one, oh, hey, Jesus, I knew you'd be a mean guy. You know, and, and I didn't want to lose my faith, so I just, I just kept it. I didn't share it with anybody because I know you're the kind of guy who's going to come and wipe everybody out if they don't love you. So, oh, well, if you knew that, then why didn't you go out and share the good news so other people wouldn't be wiped out? If that's your view of me, yeah. yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Michael. It starts by saying Jesus told parables about generosity. Why does it say about stewardship? Yeah. I think, I think the idea here is that because stewardship has the connotation today, and, and I think when we hear the, the talents, it's easy to, to use the talents as to mean like money, but it's much more than money, right? It's sharing the forgiveness and the love that Jesus gives. It's sharing my time with other people. It's sharing compassion and care. So it's, it's I think, getting away from the idea that stewardship is about money because that seems to be our thoughts. I, just growing up, I just, I remember growing up that every time, hey, it's Stewardship Sunday. Yay, I think I'm sick this week. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think we need to see stewardship in a new light. It needs to be seen as generosity um, so that we can, we can understand it's about giving of everything that God has given us. I don't, does that make sense? We could still use the term stewardship. It's not a bad word. As a matter of fact, it's an amazing word. It's an ideal word. It's just been kind of, I don't want to say hijacked. It's just been kind of pigeonholed. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm good. I'm good with the word stewardship. It's just, I think the idea of generosity is this is the heart of God. We talk about God being generous. Isn't this interesting? Has anybody ever heard the word stewardship attributed to God? Yeah. You just don't hear that a lot, if ever. We're the ones who are supposed to steward. But how about you, God? Well, because God owns everything. But God is generous so that we can steward. God is generous so that we can be generous. So, I, you know, the whole stewardship thing isn't just about us. It's, it's about God and then us. Yeah. So the, the three servants had zero talents until the master gave it to them. And, and he gives according to what people can handle, right? I don't, evidently, I couldn't handle being rich because God decided you shouldn't be. 
I, I have a good friend who, who said to me, God decided I needed to be poor and ugly because if I was rich and handsome, I probably would be real, real dangerous. <laughs> I said, yeah, probably more dangerous than you are broke and ugly. All right. Here's another one that Jesus, and this comes right after the parable of the stewards. Verse 31 of Matthew uh, 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. <coughs> then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. If that is the only portion of scripture you ever heard, what is your thought on how you're getting to heaven? Doesn't it sound like the better I am, the better seed I'm getting? Here Jesus spent all of this time telling everyone, don't listen to the Pharisees. This isn't about your works, it's about mine. And now all of a sudden, he doesn't use the word faith. He doesn't say believe. He uses the word do. That's interesting, you Lutherans. Yeah, so the beginning of Jesus' ministry is, is about undoing what they've been hearing for generations and centuries. The beginning of his ministry is undoing this idea that you have to be good enough to be saved. So he's moving the people from do to be saved. And he's moving them into believe to be saved 
which in turn will move us to do because you're saved. He needed to position them. It's a horse and a cart thing, right? So for so many people, the horse was my works and the cart was salvation. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Belief in me is the horse, which results in salvation and works. This is why James could say, faith without works is dead. Works become the identifier that there's faith, right? So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 are really important for us. It is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of your works. It is a gift of God, so no one can boast. But verse 10 then tells us you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Luther, as he was doing his Reformation thing, uh, folks from the church said, we'll never get anybody to do anything. If you just tell them that they're going to go to heaven simply because they believe that Jesus lived and died and rose for them, they're not going to do anything. They're going to sit around. If we tell them that you have to be good in order to get to heaven, then we're going to have good works abounding. Luther's comment was, yes, you're right. It could be. Some people will say, I don't have to do anything. Just sit here and wait for Jesus. But if we really instill the true gospel in their heart, they're going to be so motivated that they're going to want to do things, not out of obligation, but out of recognition and thankfulness for all that Jesus has done. This is exactly um, what, where Luther was coming from. So it says uh, on that next page, it seems Jesus is telling us that we can earn our way. You can spell earn two different ways, evidently. Earn our way into heaven by doing good to others. However, Scripture proclaims that works do not save us. Salvation is found only by faith in Jesus, crucified and risen. So what is Jesus telling us in this account? What's Jesus' bottom line for this? What's that? No, you're right. Keep going. That's our good start right there. It's about him and it's about our stewarding what God has given to us. Yeah, so if you, if you listen to Jesus, I, this, is, this is genius, which by the way, Jesus was. So, I was hungry and you gave me food. What does that mean? You were generous with the food God gave you. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. You were generous with what God gave you. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. You were generous with your home. I was naked, you clothed me. You, you shared what you already had. I was sick and you visited me in prison and you came to me. It, that's compassion and time. Do you see it? God never asks any more from us than he hasn't first given us. God never asks any more from us 
than he hasn't first given to us. Love one another. Oh, how can I do that, Jesus? Well, I gave you the love. Just go use it. Forgive one another. Seriously, Jesus? How am I going to forgive that? Well, easy. Just take a look at your life and see what I've forgiven. I've given you the forgiveness. Now you go share it. That's really all that is. All right, let's shift over to some harmful expectations. There are a number of reasons why our generosity can be ill-placed. One is personal appearances. For some, there's a show in their giving, which may be, have been the case for many of those who made their offering while Jesus watched, as Mark records in chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Okay, this is not a parable. This is something that Jesus and his disciples observed. So if giving is done with the intent to be seen by others, what then is the goal of giving? It's me. It's my show. Remember, it's the same when Jesus taught about praying. Remember, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a, a tax collector, right? And the other one was a religious man. And the, the religious man, oh, God, I thank you. I'm not like all other evildoers, especially like this tax collector. And the tax collector didn't even lift his head up. He beat his chest. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Or Jesus talked about those who go on the street corners to pray. And they make a, a big show of it. And they have received their reward in full. What were they looking for? Recognition. Recognition. Oh, boy, can that guy pray. It's wonderful. It's, it was the same here with giving. Um, I, have you ever gone to some of those old churches and there's plaques and plates all over them? Like, this was given by, and that was given by. And that was given by, makes me nervous sometimes because we don't give in recognition of ourselves. I think it's okay to give in memory of people, um, but, but the primary goal is to honor the Lord, right? I mean, that's the primary goal. Okay, they're coming to grab their flowers. You, you, can, you can give them a round of applause when they come in for their flowers. They don't want to be a distraction. What 12-year-old isn't? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and some younger. Okay. Why did they make the flowers? Uh, it was um, for uh, fine arts. Fine arts night. Okay. Yeah, so nice. Here they come. Here they come. Nice job. Oh, 
we go. Nice job, you guys. Very pretty. I think one of them bit me when I walked by. I think I think that's where I got sick. Yeah. I did. So I just want to make sure I'm not spreading. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I've often thought the same thing. It's like, okay, she gave everything she had. Now what? Yeah, uh, in one end you can look and say, oh my goodness. She might have said, well, this, this penny ain't going far anyway. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to the Lord and see if the Lord can. Yeah, yeah, see, yeah, yeah. So I don't think it was a, I want to be careful on this though too, it wasn't a bribe to the Lord, <laughs> you know, because then that's personal gain again, right? So it's not a bribe, but it, that's one of those confounding ones. I've always thought, like, oh, I remember uh, when I was living in New York, I was driving and uh, there was a guy who won the lottery in, in New York and they had him on the radio and he said, oh man, I lost my job and my, my um, unemployment ran out. I had $2 in my wallet. So I went to the bar. I bought a beer and a lottery ticket. And I won the lottery. And I'm thinking, idiot. He's got a family at home and he spends his last two bucks on a beer and a lottery ticket. Why don't they interview the other guy who spent his last two bucks on a beer and a lottery ticket? and didn't win. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think this lady um, who, who drops in, you know, what she has, I, th I think for her it's kind of a, this is it. Yeah, yeah. It demonstrates a trust in the Lord, but I don't think Jesus is expecting every one of you to go home, sell everything you have, and, and give it to the Renew campaign, and then you know, sit on a street corner somewhere. No, this, whoops, I don't have it. On the other side, that's still in effect, right? Still in effect. Uh, personal gain, here you go. In the early days of Christianity, many were shunned for believing in Jesus. Some were disowned by family, some lost income. It was the generosity of the faithful that moved them to graciously care for one another. Acts chapter 4 talks about this. It says, And now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
that's a stewardshipy thing, isn't it? It's a generosity thing. So this is prevalent. Why? Why is this prevalent? Because they're being persecuted. Nobody's buying fish from their market because they believe in Jesus. No one's buying bread from their bakery because they follow Jesus. So what ends up happening, those who have the means, it sounds like they're saying, God gave this to us so that we can do some support. Again, God is not saying, go home and sell everything you have. You remember back in the 70s and the 80s when we had all those tele-evangelists? And people were cashing in pensions and bank accounts and getting second mortgages on their homes so these people could build their empires? That's not what this is about. This is about preservation of, of the group. <clears throat> the very next chapter talks about Ananias and Sapphira. I only given you Ananias. Acts 5, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it you have contrived this deed in your heart? Have you, you have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. This is our stewardship text. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, isn't this great? Isn't that? Oh, I love this one. Isn't this good? Wow. Here's my question. Would it have been wrong for Ananias to offer his gift explaining he was going to keep some of the proceeds of the sale of his property to live on? It would have been fine. It would have been okay for him to say, hey, I got 100,000 for my house. I, I really feel I need 50. My wife and I talked about this and we prayed about it. Is it okay if we give you this 50? And Peter would have said, God bless you. That's wonderful. That's remarkable. But he ends up inferring that this is all I got for it. Why would he do that? You know, here's the thing. So many times we feel we should be influenced by what others do. And have you noticed that the, in the parable of the talents, the guy who had the two talents was given two more? He wasn't embarrassed by the guy who had five? No. So for Ananias and Sapphira, by the way, you do know that Sapphira came in 
and she backed up his story and she dropped dead. So. There were churches years ago that used to publish what every person gave. Yeah. Was this one of those churches? <laughs> uh, this, yes, years and years and years ago. Yeah, yep, yep. It was a, it was a good Lutheran form of stewardship. It, it was called um, giving to the grace of God out of shame. <laughs> uh, I was talking to, I don't think Mark Actenberg would mind me saying this, but we were, t we were talking about just this. And he said, oh, I remember uh, I went to Trinity Freistadt, our family, and yeah, they printed the name Actenbergs this much. And then there were so many complaints that they didn't do that anymore. They replaced the names with the envelope number. And Mark said, wasn't fair because everyone knew Actenberg was number one. And I'm sure Zwiggleheimer was the last one, right? So, yeah. But isn't that interesting? You know, what? what yeah, it shouldn't, it really shouldn't have to be public. And I, and I guess maybe the reasoning was this way we can be responsible to one another and we can show one another. And you know, King David, when they were building the temple, King David announced how much he was giving, but he only did that as the leader and didn't expect anyone else to do that. That was it. And, and it, it was a leadership thing. As the leader, this is what I, you called me to be the leader. Here's where I am with the building of the temple. Yeah. But he, they didn't have stone tablets with everybody's name and offering. <laughs> uh, in what ways do people today make offerings for less than charitable reasons? Tax deduction. Tax deduction. Is it okay to get a tax deduction? Hey, you darn right, I remind people, you know, take advantage of the tax laws. I mean, that's fine. I, I, I'm okay with it. Some people who have um, their IRAs uh, make direct to the church. They don't have to pay any taxes when they pull it out. And the government isn't upset with that. They designed it. As a matter of fact, the more charities that are helped, the less government work has to be put into it. So they're good with it. Yeah. my hobby. You know, then there's my will be done. Some may contribute only if their desires are realized. There's no problem in seeking to support missions and charities that are close to our hearts, but giving is not simply about our personal preferences. Um, I remember some years ago we had someone that came in with some cash and said, <clears throat> here's what I want. Okay, you'll buy a TV for that classroom and you'll get, I don't know, something, a projector for that classroom. I really like that teacher, so you can give her the $50. She can do whatever she wants with it. And we said, well, you know, we do have an operation plan, and it's not our plan to, to do those things. Um, well, I demand it. And I said, well, you, you, can, you can demand, but we don't have to follow through. Um, but if you would like to give... $50 to a teacher you like, give it to her. That's fine. But I want to give it through the church so I can deduct it. I said, well, we, we just can't do that. So they said, well, I'll never give to this church again as long as I live. And I said, that's okay. Find a, a, a Christian organization that meets your needs and give. I said, let me recommend a few. And I did. And Concordia became their beneficiary so 
And I'm okay with that. It's just, I, I just want to make sure people are right when they're giving. Yeah, and who's the enemy? The devil's the enemy, <laughs> right? Yeah, human beings are our friends. But some people were like, you can't support the enemy. <laughs> like, well, when they were told, yeah. Yeah, there's so many different ways of thinking, isn't there? I don't know, I don't know about you, but I don't know if there's ever a budget, whether that's in a school district or in, in the government or charitable groups or churches, where I could say, I, I agree like absolutely 100% with everything that's happening. I can't, I'll be honest with you. I run the budget here and I give my ministry leaders some elbow room and there have been times when I say, well, we can't do that right now. But then there's other times where I'll say, ah, I think you could probably use the money in a different way in your particular ministry, but I'm gonna support you here. I'm gonna let you run with it because it's your ministry, this is important. I didn't say, okay, we'll do it. I'm not giving any money. No, as long as it's legal, moral, ethical, and biblical, I think we're okay, right? Healthy expectations. I think we expect to sacrifice when we give. Generosity is giving without expectations of personal return. That's what generosity is. It's not, I'm going to do something nice so that maybe God can do something nice to me. Or I'm going to do something nice to that guy because then he'll do something nice to me. It's the cookie tray. I've told you this before. Someone gave us cookies early in our ministry, and it was great, and I took the plate, I will bring it back. And my wife says, no, not yet. And I said, well, it's washed. No, I have to bake something and put it on there and bring it back. I said, how long does this last? Does this keep going back and forth? No, no, it doesn't, which I was disappointed then. But it's, what's the expectation? And the person that gave us the cookies didn't expect it, but they got it back. Well, maybe if I do good, I can get a lot of stuff back. I think joy is a healthy expectation. Jesus sacrificed. He went to the cross. The writer of the Hebrew says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. I think there, in his sacrifice, what was the joy? Yay, I get to be nailed to a cross. I get to honor and glorify the Father by saving all the wretches. That's the joy. Hey, there's some cool residual effects. Um, according to the article that's called Five Research-Backed Benefits of Making Generosity a Habit, if you're interested in it, there it is, generous people experience greater health, happier life, lower stress, improved relationships, a longer life expectancy. Why do you think? Why would you expect that to be? I don't know if I expected it, but why would you expect that to be the case? Less pressure. There's less pressure. I think that's one. 
Bev? Yes, because when you're all wound up in gratitude, you're not wound up in self, self and envy and jealousy and covetousness. Yeah, and when you are wound up in gratitude, you see more things as a gift rather than things that I have to work for, I have to protect, I have to whatever. Yeah, yeah. What else? I think it, there's this new... Yeah. And it really brings joy because you see the joy it brings them. Yeah. And it's not like you're doing it so you get your, you know, a better person because you did that, but because of the joy you feel. And I think it always happens. I've seen it every time. Yeah. And, and you know, these are residual effects. I don't think anyone sits down and says, all right, I need to feel good about myself. I'm buying Denny a cup of coffee. No, I, I like Denny. Maybe I don't even know who he is. He's behind me. Remember the toll booths in Illinois? Now, now they're all electronic. <laughs> when I'd go to college, it was only like 25 cents or 40 cents. We'd pay for the guy behind us, and then we'd take off like crazy. And, and it, it, we'd see who would try to catch up to us and figure out who we were. We did not have great social lives, <laughs> so we did this. And if you got four guys in a car, 10 cents a guy ain't bad. Um, but it probably wasn't the right reason to do it, but it was fun. And, and I, I think the residual effects of being generous are amazing. You get out of yourself and, and you make a difference. You see, this is the image of God. This is what we were designed to do. When you do the things you're designed to do, it becomes easy and gratifying. Brett Favre, when he was still playing, said, oh, one thing I would really like to do, I would like to be a defensive back for a game. I'm guessing he would have had more fun doing what he was gifted to do than trying to do what he wasn't gifted to do. As a kid hanging posters on my wall, I would often use a shoe. And my father would say, did you know they invented a hammer? And, and it's going to go quicker It'll be more effective, and I will be happier with you, which will make you happier with you. Yeah. This is what we were designed to be, generous stewards. Yeah. All right. Clock in the wall says absolutely nothing, but it does tell me it's time to quit. All right. Where do we end up with our little book? Okay. Everybody get signed? Just so you know, I'm photocopying your signatures. I bought a lot of stuff that I can't afford. So. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. Have a good day, and God bless.